Hi, you're listening to audio from Rock Hill Church. To check out more resources, please visit rockhilllawrence.com. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Emily and Lydia and Andrew, and so appreciate the work. You should come sometime if you haven't had a chance to come an hour early and just watch these guys practice um, the attention by which they give to leading us and really encouraging. And I so appreciate you guys. And uh, So we've been in the Gospel of John, as you know, for a while. Today, we're entering a, a bit of the apex uh, of his Gospel. It's the center stage of his Gospel, chapter 11 of the Gospel of John. And we're going to be in this chapter for a little while. Not just today. I don't know how many weeks. Uh, we won't be next week. Next week we're having a parent-child dedication. Brian will be speaking. So we're going to kind of focus on that, given the fact that we have a lot of new little ones in our midst. And we're going to really gather around them next week and celebrate that together. But we're going to be in John 11 for a while because it's so, so important. So I want to let you know that partly so that you will be in it. Uh, as well. There's so much here, and it's really given to us not just as something to study, but to reflect upon. It, it is meditation literature at John's very, very best, and so I encourage you to be with it because it says so much about the life that Jesus has come uh, to give us. So, As we've talked about, Jesus has kind of been on a tour. Um, Consider it, if we we wanted to market it, we'd call it the seven signs tour. He's been performing miracles. John calls them signs. Because John wants us to see the miracles as something pointing. Not just sort of isolated events of compassion. They are that. Not just acts of power from heaven, they are that, but he wants to see them pointing toward something. That's his lens of this entire gospel. He's pointing to something, and he's also uh, eliciting a response from those who are reading. Remember, John's writing at the very end of the first century. Way after Matthew, Mark, and Luke have written, 20, 30 years at least after they've written, John is writing to a church that's in a bit of a crisis. One of its crises is this. When Jesus resurrected and ascended, the expectation, there was an expectation in the church that he would be returning soon. And all of a sudden, that didn't happen. All the, that's kind of a oxymoron, and all of a sudden, that didn't happen. People began to die. First-generation believers began to die. Second-generation believers began to die, and this is when John is writing. He's addressing this crisis, this reality. Other streams of thought, some of them heretical, are popping up, some affecting the church. John wants us to see something And he wants something to break through as he describes it. You know, God does that sometimes. He breaks through. One of the things that's been happening the last two weeks, how many of y'all are familiar with what's been happening in in Kentucky, in Wilmore, Kentucky? So some of you, not, not all of you, but about 12 days ago, what's sometimes referred to as a revival began at a college campus in Kentucky, Asbury University. And it's been a breaking through of God. A lot of reputable, wise people have been there and have been reporting on it and have said, sort of with one voice, this sure looks like God, the way that it's been going on. And so for some of us, this has been really encouraging. And, and I, I think it's encouraging because it kind of, it kind of strikes a chord in us. It it touches a longing that we have. 
And that is for God to pour his spirit out on us. For, for God to break through. You know, when we walk with God and we're striving to walk with him and we're, we're struggling in our, in our discipleship to Jesus as all of us who are disciples do, sometimes we just want God to just come down and visit us and, and sort of let him be in charge <laughs> in, a, in a bit more tangible way. So it's not like we're asking that God would do exactly the same thing here that he's doing there, uh, that would be great. But, but that's not really the longing. The longing is that we would experience God pouring his spirit out on us as a community, on our city, not just our little group here, in the way that he wants. Because God, only God knows how to do that. We try to make it up and manufacture it it would never work. But when God breaks through, as he has been in Wilmore the last 10, 11 days, that's another matter. There was a small group of us that gathered right here on this pew last night just to pray. And uh, we got a taste of it. We experienced him being with us. And so we're going to pray this in a little while that God would continue that, that he would break through in our lives in the way that he wants. And I'll give some specific directions about how we'll, we'll pray. So if there's anything in you right now that wants to like, are you in an OFT uh, for the door? I, I want to calm your nerves. You're not going to be, we're not going to do anything to put you in a spotlight or try to make you uncomfortable. We're going to pray. We have people who are prepared to kind of lead out in that prayer. But part of coming before God as a people is to let go and to bring ourselves before him as we are. So back to John. We're at the center of his gospel. In this chapter, we're going to get a bit of a foretaste of the coming Jesus revolution. We're going to, we're going to get it so strongly in this chapter so convincingly in this chapter, this foretaste of this revolution of Jesus that's coming, that even his enemies and his frenemies won't be able to refute it. This will be the first time that he's done a sign that the counterattack is really not there. Not in terms of like, we're going to outfox him or outsmart him. His, his enemies and frenemies are now left with really a choice and it is of death or of life so what we're going to see them doing is to plot to kill the messiah that's the choice of death they didn't have to do that they could have chosen life and that's why john's writing he wants us to hear jesus saying i have come that you might have life that is why I'm here following Jesus always involves this choice my way that leads to death God's way that leads to life so let's take a first step this morning in chapter 11 we're, we're going to deal with the first 16 verses only so John begins a little bit inconspicuously. He starts chapter 11 by saying, Now a man was sick, and his name is Lazarus, of Bethany, a small village of the M sisters, Mary and Martha. And then John tells us a little bit about Mary. He wants us to see Mary. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent to Jesus. Remember, Jesus is on the other side of the Jordan. Now, Bethany is on the west, barely, but on the west side of the Jordan, where Israel is, Judea, that area. Remember, Jesus has left after an intense time of ministry and crossed the Jordan. He's now on the east side of the Jordan, uh, which is considered wilderness. So he's sort of into the wild. We're assuming kind of for a personal time away. He's taking his disciples and getting 
away, so it seems. So they're there, and the sisters send word, meaning a courier. It wasn't a text, in case you're not aware that they didn't do that then. The sisters sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. There's a little word that they added that John adds, behold, is how we translate it. It's, it's a word of urgency. Look, Lord, listen. The one you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. It is for the glory of God. So that the Son of God may be glorified through this. Let's stop there. So that's the stage. It's sort of set for us here. It's, it's an interesting beginning. Uh, kind of a side note. Something that's a little bit interesting. It's not all that important. But it's just a little bit interesting. Is that John mentions Mary as the one who wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. He poured perfume. She poured perfume on his feet. You know that story? What's a little bit, not real interesting, but a little bit interesting about that is that's not till the next chapter. That's in chapter 12. That's so John. John's main concern has never been getting things in order. John's writing differently. He's writing thematically. For example, in chapter 2, we find him clearing the temple. Well, when we see that in the other Gospels, that's happening right before his arrest. So did he clear it twice? Or has John moved it for a reason? That's John. Sometimes we, we don't know. But here's the important part, because it's, it may be only a little interesting, but there's something bigger at play here. John wants us to see Mary for a reason. He has a big purpose for seeing her. He wants us to believe in the way that Mary has come to believe. Remember John's writing at the end of the first century? This happened. What we're reading now is actually going on in the fourth decade of the first century, some 50 years probably earlier. And I think John's assuming we know Mary. His, his, his readers know Mary. See, Mary had become an important figure in the early church. People knew Mary. There was only one other uh, account written about Mary and Martha. Luke does it. You probably know that story. Jesus is in their home, in Lazarus' home, and, and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet learning, which was a bit scandalous of its own right. And Martha is scurrying around, and Jesus kind of nicknames her as distracted, busy Martha. And that's the only other account we have of them but Mary is highlighted and given a place in the oral story of Jesus and how he changes people's lives. That's enough of the sort of interesting. Let's take a step in. The sisters send to Jesus. Look, Lord. Listen, Lord. The one you love is sick. And we learn something here. Lazarus and Jesus are close. This isn't an unnamed um, lame person or, or blind man. We don't get those names often. Here we do. The one you love, Lord. They, they knew Jesus would know who they were talking about. He's sick. John really likes that phrase, by the way, the one you love. Who else does he call the one Jesus loved? Anybody know? I know some of you do. Shout it out. Himself. Yeah, John never names himself in his gospel. He, he's always either just kind of anonymous or more frequently in the disciple whom Jesus loved. I think that's worth meditating on itself. Question, can you see yourself that way? Can you label yourself as the disciple whom Jesus loved? Put, put that on my tombstone, please. Here lies the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's what I want, would love to be known 
most as. I think all of us has the opportunity to come to see ourselves that way. Here is the disciple whom Jesus loved. So when Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick, he says, hmm, I added that. It's not really in the Greek, but he said, hmm, is that right? He's sick, huh? This sickness will not end in death, he says. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified in this. Something just shifted in this story. We thought this was just a personal retreat for Jesus and his disciples. We thought this was a getaway. We've already learned from last week, he crosses the river and many followed him. And many are believing in him. This is no personal retreat. Now we have this family that Jesus dearly loves sending word to him, saying, help, we're in trouble. The courier's message is short and it is urgent. Lord, when you love is sick. I think Martha and Mary knew Jesus' heart for people like their brother. He knew what Jesus could do for a blind man. They knew. Maybe they were with him when he healed that man by the pool of Bethsaida, say it in chapter 5. They knew Jesus in this way. We will send for Jesus. And Jesus responds. Listen to what he says again. Just as John wrote it, this is a little bit, the English is a little bit awkward, but the way John wrote it, is this, this sickness is not to death, but for the glory of God, so the Son of God might be glorified. This whole scenario is reframed. I, I don't know if this is what it looked like or not, but I imagine Jesus saying this, and there's this little circle around him. This courier has showed up. Probably some of the disciples are there with Jesus. Maybe there's even a crowd. I don't know, but this guy has come and delivered this message. Lord, the one you love is sick. And then Jesus says this. Maybe he puts his hand on his shoulders. Maybe Jesus never met this courier. I don't know, but he says, hey, this is not going to end in death. But so that God would be glorified. What, here's what I imagine. I imagine that courier going like, yes. I imagine him running out, you know, like just sprinting back, swimming across the Jordan. I don't know if that's how it went at all. But if anything, what's happening here, Jesus is making a promise. And that courier got it. Whatever it looked like, People heard him say this. I don't know if it went like this either, but if some of the disciples were there and they heard Jesus say this, this is not going to end in death, I wonder if they were like, we just got here. We've been in this crazy intense season of ministry of, of healings and exorcisms, busy we're tired. We just got here, and the crowd follows us. And now we've got all these people to follow up with. And now this. So much for personal retreat. This will not end in death, but the glory of God. So that is supposed to sit with us right there. That's supposed to be our meditation. How will this end? What's this going to look like? We don't know yet. But this is unmistakably an invitation to faith. This will not end in death, but the glory of God. This was said to ignite something. 
I think that's one thing about, I mentioned earlier about this revival in Kentucky. It's, it, you know, there's a part of us that would love it just if something like that happened here, but I think what it's supposed to ignite in us is if, if nothing else is a, is a holy expectation among us. It, I think it's supposed to like make us shake our heads a bit and go, oh yeah, in all that, I mean, do you ever just get tired of hearing the bad news every day? There's so much trouble in our world. There's so much trouble in our immediate world that we're dealing with. And then we wake up and there's a report of God pouring his spirit out on a people. And there's something in that that ignites. We're reminded that this life is not a matter of me slugging it out with my best effort. We're reminded that God's real and he's active. And sometimes he breaks through. And there's an expectation that gets ignited. I hope your expectation gets ignited. If it doesn't, you've missed this. We can let God do what God wants to do among us. But can we come before him in holy expectation that he wants to do something among us? One of the things I believe is true when God breaks through is a lot of things that we care about, we stop caring about. And we start caring about a few things. This is an imitation to faith, to Mary and to Martha. As we're getting ready to see, it's an invitation to faith for his disciples. And it's an invitation to faith probably for those who crossed the river with him as well. Will they trust what Jesus has just said? Because God's word has just broken in. This will not end in death but so that the glory of God will be revealed. When God speaks, we better pay attention. Jesus has spoken. I got this. That's essentially what he just said. I got this. This is not ending in death, but God's glory. I got this. Surely some exhaled. I think that's what God wants us to do sometimes. Just exhale and hear him say, I got this. I know you're down there bumbling and stumbling along. I know you make it hard. (laughs) I got this. It's what happens next. Or, Or maybe better said, what doesn't happens next. That adds another wrinkle, another layer to the story that we should attend to. Verse 6, when Jesus heard he was sick, what did he do? He stayed there two more days. Just when the holy expectation is ignited, it seems like everything slows down. Remember that carrier, that courier, You know, remember him running out of that room, excited. Remember him getting to, and like, I'm not saying it happened this way, but just imagine in your own way, him getting back to Mary and Martha, and and he's like breathing because he's run. And he's like, you got to, you got to hear what Jesus has said. Lazarus is not dying. Jesus is coming. He's probably just an hour or so behind me. He will be here any minute. But he wasn't right behind him. He wasn't there any minute. Instead, Jesus stayed on the other side of the Jordan in the wild. John doesn't tell us why. Jesus didn't just get on the next donkey headed west. He just says he stayed. I'll bet 
those were two tough days for Mary and Martha. Waiting. Why hasn't he come? Why didn't he come? Maybe he was just too busy. We heard a crowd following him over there. Maybe we're not quite as important as we thought we were to him. Maybe the demands of his ministry, you know, we're just down the food chain a little bit. Maybe we're just being selfish. We, he, we shouldn't have bothered him in the first place. He's, he's over there saving people and healing people. Why would, but why would he say what he said? That this would not end in death. Because our brother died. And now we're planning his funeral. He stayed. You ever feel like that? Like God stayed on you? You really needed him to come through? You really needed him to be there? You asked him to hear you, you laid out your cry to him, you poured out your heart. And it seems God just stayed put right where he was. He hasn't come through like you thought he would. Or maybe, let's be honest, demanded that he would. Or just how you thought he would when he spoke to you. Let's remember how Jesus frames this whole scenario. Let's go back to those words. This is happening so the Son of God might be glorified. That's where we got to lock in. That's where we got to meditate on. This is happening so the Son of God might be glorified. So what's Mary and Martha doing with that? If the courier did indeed brought that word back. Like, what does that mean? The Son of God be glorified. How will I know when that's happened? Our brother's dead. Does it mean we don't get any of that? Son of God being glorified, was that just for him? He gets good out of this while we stay here in death in this all too familiar place, in our sadness, in our grief. Dad, gum it, Jesus. I don't understand. The truth is, we often don't understand. Do we? We often don't understand what God's doing. We don't often understand his timing. Sometimes we try to convince ourselves we know what he's doing. But who are we kidding? God determines when he moves. He has his own timeline. He does not operate on ours, and he does not take orders from us, even the ones he loves. Jesus had a reason for not going to Bethany right away. We don't, we can only conject what they were. Maybe there were people there that needed his attention for another day or two. Maybe he really did need some rest and he knew his disciples needed some rest. Or maybe he knew how important this sign was going to be. And he spent two days in prayer for that. We don't know. Whatever it was, Mary and Martha had a choice right here. Didn't they? These two days. I don't know what it looked like for them. But I imagine if they're in tune with the Spirit of God, something was churning in their grief. There was a beam of light trying to get through, saying, will you trust what Jesus said? Will you trust it? But Lazarus is dead. Will you trust it? These circumstances don't match up with what he said. Will you trust the word of God? We have to make those kinds of choices that they were faced with. Our circumstances may say one thing, 
The word of the Lord says another thing, and we have to choose. Will we trust? If we want to experience the glory of God in our lives, in our community, it's going to ask this kind of faith from us. There's no getting around it. If we want to follow Jesus with our life, we have to learn, each of us, as a community. If we want the glory of God, not making our lives about us, we have to learn that sometimes God's going to stay put when we're begging him to move. But you know what? We also have to learn sometimes God moves when we just prefer him to stay put. Look at verse 7. Jesus says to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. It's now time to move. Just what Mary and Martha wanted. But notice who's not too excited about it. His disciples said to him, Rabbi, are you crazy? I added that part. The Jews there tried to stone you. And now you're going back? little bit of a wordplay there. Let's go back to Judea, says Jesus. And now you're going there, Jesus? He didn't say, now we're going. But they knew what he meant by it. So now another layer in the story comes to light. Another complexity. The disciples. They're not just casual observers in this. They're part of this. See, up to this point, they've just kind of been on the Jesus team. They've been part of this seven signs tour that's been going around Judea. It hasn't really asked that much from them. They've been learning. They've been with him. Yes, they received his call to follow, and they have been following, but they've been watching him do these amazing things. But more recently... Back there on the other side of the river, things had begun to change. Insults, attacks, and now some of the enemies and frenemies are plotting and scheming with increased pressure, persecution. And by the way, right before they left, some of them picked up rocks. And maybe some of the disciples are like, I don't think he was just looking at Jesus when he picked up that rock. I think he was looking at me, too. This is getting costly. And understandably, they're afraid. That's what we're hearing here. They're afraid. We're going back into that? But Jesus hears their concerns and responds. Listen, are there not 12 hours of daylight? If someone walks in the day, he will not stumble, for he sees by the world's light. But if someone walks in the night, he stumbles, for the light is not in him. We'll return to that in a second, but it's time to move, and school is in session. These poor guys, these disciples, school is always in session for them, it seems. I want to I take you back real quick to something Jesus said three chapters earlier in John he says this really dense thing. It's one of his I am statements, which is also part of the tour. He says it, but he doesn't unpack it at all because as soon as he says it, the Pharisees like jump on him in opposition. So there, there, there's not an opportunity, at least as John's telling it, to say more. But he says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. That's pretty brilliant. So now here, Jesus, are there not 12 hours of daylight? If someone walks in the day, he won't stumble, for he sees by this world's light. He's clearly talking about sunlight, right? But if someone walks in the night, he stumbles, for the light is not in him. The language is important here. For the light is not in him. It's brilliant. 
Meditate on that. Now it's the crisis of faith for the disciples. We're there now. Back in Bethany, Martha and Mary are having their own crisis. Right here in the wilderness, it's time for the disciples. And Jesus knows it. So he goes up to them and says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. And I'm going to go and wake him up. And they said, eh, he's fine, Lord. If he's just sleeping, he'll wake up. Jesus, John tells us, had been speaking of his death. But they thought he meant natural sleep. So Jesus tells them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. So you might believe. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit more in future weeks. But he says, we must go to him. And then one of the disciples speaks up. This is one of the disciples that John also wants us to hear. He's kind of the counterpart to Mary. In all the other Gospels, Thomas is just in a list. Never hear from him. Not in John. John wants us to hear from Thomas from time to time. He has a role to play. Thomas lives on in the Gospel narrative. So Thomas says, Great. Sure, let's go so we may die with him. And I suspect you could hear, we could hear courage in those words. Lord, I'm ready. Let's go. I'm ready to die with you. But I think that we know Thomas. <laughs> I don't think what we're hearing is courage. I think what we're hearing is fear. Thomas... Thomas is often called Doubting Thomas, and surely was. We also think of him, he's kind of cynical. But it doesn't take much to get underneath the doubt and the cynicism, does it? Cynical people often are like that. I mean, I can be like that. My cynicism is just covering something else up. So Thomas is wrapping his fear, I think, in doubt and cynicism. What was Thomas doing when Jesus was talking about walking in the light? If you, the light is in you, you're going to be fine. Evidently, not listening. Evidently, maybe hearing, but not hearing. That was given as a word of, like, you're gonna, guys are going to be okay. You stick with me. I am the light of the world. I'm in you. You're going to be okay. Here's the cynic. Refusing, resistant to bring himself before the Lord as he is. So he sticks his chest out. Yeah, let's go so we may all die. There's a naivety here that we shouldn't miss. I imagine probably this is, didn't happen. This is just how I think. I imagine Thomas saying that and Jesus kind of walking up to him and whispering in his ear, you finally got it, Thomas. Remember how he called the disciples, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his what? Say it. Yeah. Let us go that we may die with him. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul? I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Thomas didn't realize how profound he was being. He was being cynical. Let us go that we may die with him. That's the gospel. Let us go that we may die with him so we may live 
in him. I'll close with two questions before we pray. I think the first one is, what is our vision? Is it for the glory of God? I think that's what the text is demanding me to answer. Is it for the glory of God or is it for something else? This will not end in death, but that God may be glorified. Jesus is seeing this entirely thing, entire thing differently than anybody else. He's not just saying it's for the glory of God. He's going to behave for the glory of God. He's going to show us in this entire chapter what it looks like to live for his glory. And I think that has to rest with us. What is our vision? Are we hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Or are we longing that we get seen, noticed, be important? I think the second question is, I don't even have good language for it, to be honest with you. But it's something akin to this. Will I, will we learn to understand to respect and participate with God in his glory and let him do things the way he wants to do them. I told you I didn't have good language for it. Will we wait for him when he stays? Or do we launch out our own on our own? Will we pray? Will we move with God when he moves? And I think that's another way of saying, will we pray? Will we go in faith and courage when he goes? Which at least for this morning, I think, means will we pray? I'm not saying it's only about prayer. What I am suggesting is that it must include prayer, whatever it is God wants to do. Because prayer is seeking the face of God. Prayer is acknowledging who He is. Prayer is bringing our, not making it about us, but it's about bringing ourselves in His presence as He is. And being honest with that. And prayer is about honest requesting. It's about shamelessly asking God what our heart longs for. Even when what our heart long, long, is longing for, we're not even sure we should ask. Jesus has given freedom. Ask. That's not quite what I have in mind. You and I will work with that. Ask. And you'll receive. See, that's where we trust the goodness of God. He doesn't smack us and say, bad request. He says, let's talk about that. So I think a lot of our following Jesus is kind of embodied in this thing called prayer. It's about us saying, you are God, I am not. You are good, I am not. I am grateful for who you are because I am not worthy and I adore you and I worship you and prayer is about me coming into his presence knowing because of Jesus I can be in his presence and I can afford and I can risk and I have courage to be who I am in his presence and so therefore I can ask him to shine his light on what's not good in my life that's scary that's where Thomas was. When we enter the sense, the presence of God, there's, there's, there is a healthy, fearful awareness. 
Because we know we're in the presence of something holy. And that's supposed to make us a bit uncomfortable. But we also know our Savior, our Redeemer, our Lord. We see God clearly in the face of Jesus. And he says to us, I got this. We have both going on. And prayer's so critical because we're bringing our request. Prayer is talking to God about what we're doing together with Him. It's not about us, it's about Him. But we're talking to Him about how He wants to work in us, how He wants to pour out His Spirit on us. It doesn't matter if what God does on us looks anything like what it looks like in Kentucky. What matters is, will I go there with him in prayer? In fear and courage, all wrapped up in the same thing, in an awareness of who he is and how unworthy I am, but understanding how deeply, deeply loved I am, you are, in Christ. And let him do his work. So we're going to pray. We've got... 15 minutes, we're going to pray. So we're going to do this a little bit similarly. than If you were here three weeks ago or so when David Manor was with us, we got in groups and prayed. And I'm going to put you in three groups. Um, so just three. So Emily, you and your team, I think, I think three is a good number for us. Um, so you'll be in groups of whatever it is, 15 or something like that. I haven't counted you, but 12 to 15 probably. So, um, so Eric is going to be uh, you're about, he's going to be in front of the sound booth back there a few rows up probably. So some of you can just gather around Eric and, and pray together. And I'll give you a few more instructions here in a minute. And then some of you are going to gather around Nick and Pam. Raise your hands, Nick and Pam. So if you guys could just maybe move up a, just a pew or two. And in just a minute, and then some of you can gather around them. I'm not going to tell you which way to go. We'd, we'd like to kind of get this even, you know, but it doesn't have to be perfect. It's not the point. And then some of you will be around Dustin. Dustin, raise your hand, and he'll be here. So what these, th- these three facilitators are doing, they're not necessarily just, uh, they're not really leading the time. They'll get you started. Um, and we're just going to pray. And so think in the, and, and you, you may feel led to pray out loud. Uh, you may want to be quiet. This may be new to you. So uh, you, you're welcome to come into this with, I'm just going to participate by being in the group. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, there probably won't be time for everyone. But we want you to feel a sense of freedom. Uh, you don't have to try to impress God or anybody else with your language. Remember the three things we talked about, like adoring God, praising Him, thanking Him, however you want to say it, but the focus is on Him. We talked about bringing ourselves in His presence. That might be confession for you. What's one of the things that happens is like you ask Him to shine His light, and He does, and you say, Lord, I'm afraid. Lord, I, I've been distracted Lord, there's things in my life that aren't pure. And I want to I name that in this company right here and get it out. I want to confess it. It may be something else. And then remember the other part. God, would you do this? And you may not have a lot of clarity on what that should be. That's okay. Good language is, Lord, would you just pour out your spirit on me, on this community, and do what you want to do. This is a start. It's what we're doing this morning. We're starting. We don't know. I hope that we start praying more together. I hope it, it takes some organic, spontaneousness to it. But I'm not going to control that. We'll try our best to follow the Lord's lead as we, as we move forward. So go ahead and uh, stand up. Uh, Eric will be kind of in the back. Raise your hand, Eric, just in case someone doesn't know you. Nick and Pam will be right up here. And then Dustin will take this whole side. So probably a few of you on this side could, could go in either Eric and, or the Ferguses group. 
It doesn't need to be a lot of you. I think we'll be pretty close if just three or four of you move across the Jordan here and go to the other side. And uh, so in about 15 minutes, I, I will come back up and I will close us. So I'll give you, you know, a, a minute or two warning uh, uh, to let you know that we're going to be finishing up. And uh, just, just huddle up as you are and begin praying. I'm sorry to interrupt if you're still praying. I wish we had more time. So uh, we're going to worship. And I want, I want to, you to feel, um, for lack of a better word, empowered. Um, I, don't, I don't know why. I'm pretty sure the Lord's calling us to, to continue to do what we just did. I don't know, I don't know what that looks like yet. Um, we, we'll, we'll try to discern that. But if, if you feel like you want to come up here and pray and would love for people to join you, um, I can't promise that I, I can run over, the, you know, with my key at that moment or someone else, but we'll do our best. I think an, an one step I want to encourage is just I want to empower you to, like, not have to wait from, like, for an email or something like saying we're going to pray. We, we'll probably do some of that, but I want you to feel like it doesn't necessarily have to be always planned a week in, in advance or something like that. It could be, like, I think the Lord wants me to come up here, or, or I just want to, and if, someone, if other people want to come, then you can... I want you to feel free to do that. I think that that's a logical and reasonable next step for us is for you to feel that kind of freedom. There's enough of us even in the room that has a key that we can help get you in the building. Yeah, Will. Yeah, and it doesn't... Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, like during the week, come up to the church. And, and I'm not suggesting it has to be here either. You may just want to invite friends in your home. You may not want to be a blast to the whole community, but just to say, um, hey, I'm going to pray, and would you like to come join me? So I just want you to feel, like, empowered to do that. And um, I, th I think that's enough for now, and then we'll try to discern what going forward looks like as we hear from the Lord. Because um, I don't have clarity. On it. I just know and believe that God is going to be asking us so to do more than pray, but at least pray. So We'll try to listen to him together. All right, worship team, you guys come up, and uh, we'll, we'll close in worship, and then Holly will close us out with a few announcements.